Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am uh, having another wonderful day in self-isolation. It's, uh, it's doing, I'm doing everything I can to keep my spirits high and uh, my interactions plenty. I was able to go out and help out a lot of the people yesterday in Las Vegas at the uh, We Make events for WE slash EC Las Vegas. Uh, just trying to raise awareness for uh, all the people that are struggling in our industry. Uh, we're not asking for everybody to open up immediately. We're asking people to kind of consider opening their doors and kind of allowing entertainment to happen again. If we don't make any sort of advancements sometime soon, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be struggling and uh, having to completely leave our industry and then uh, we won't have entertainment anymore. Uh, we were definitely out on the street trying to raise awareness for people to just wash your hands, uh, wear a mask, and if we all do things safely and responsibly, we can all get back to work in a timely manner. It, it is possible. There are, uh, there are lots of things that we have to uh, overcome. We understand that, that there, are, uh, there are lives at stake and there are people that are getting sick. But at the same time, uh, entertainment still can happen. Uh, we are human beings. We all deserve interaction. We all need to be near each other. And there are lots of things we can do to keep people working and safe at the same time. Uh, so uh, please uh, consider that, that there are so many people in our industry out there that really need our support. Just send them an email, write them a letter saying, check in on all your friends, make sure that people are doing well. And that is a, a perfect lead into my, my very special guest today. His name is Jeff Calderon. He's an Emmy award-winning lighting director lighting designer and director of photography at Academy Lighting. He has been affected just like all of us have. He, he is, uh, he's on the forefront of trying to make sure that we can still do entertainment and, uh, and he's making sure that we're being as safe as possible. So thank you so much for uh, making an hour to sit down with me today, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are in LA right now and you are, you've had three COVID tests thus far. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, I have. Um, COVID affected our industry as hard, if not harder, than probably restaurant and bar industry at this point. I believe the last thing I saw in the papers, it was probably the LA Times, there's something over 900,000 people just in the entertainment industry that are out of work right now not the ancillary people that bring them their lunches, park their cars, wash their cars, all of that. So it's the whole area is um, really slowed down. The only good side is you've heard about horrible LA traffic. Well, even rush hour now is bearable. It's, it's 
there really isn't one. I mean, there's always traffic in LA, but nothing like it used to be. Um, it's affected. I had uh, on on March 14th, prior to the state shutdown, I had four shows booked simultaneously, uh, starting in May. No, actually, starting uh, the beginning of April, running straight through October, and I was pretty much booked five days a week. On March 15th, when the state shut down, I got really nervous. Uh, not nervous. I was really concerned. Um, I have family on the East Coast. Turns out a lot of them had been infected uh, in New York's uh, cousins in New York City and everything. So I was really more worried about COVID at the time. But basically, here's the status of where those four shows stand right now. One of them is pushed to 2021. They just couldn't afford all the COVID regulations and everything was coming back. Uh, it, it was a lower budget uh, game show. Uh, another one was a courtroom show. Divorce Court, which our company has done the entire 21 years until this year. And out of precaution, and thankfully we found somebody locally, I no longer was going to fly back and forth and do the show anymore. So what I did is, it was they were also, they were getting a new judge, they were moving into a new studio. So I basically prepped the show and talked to the local people through what we needed to do with the old set. And wish them wish them well they set it up uh now i so i basically lost that show but to be honest i really did not want to go back and forth to atlanta eight times starting in early june through the end of october it just didn't seem safe i'm a little older so they've advised us to you know shelter in place so to speak uh, that sounds like a nuclear thing but uh you know stay at home that's a little safer um you know it was so that's hard, you know, and I'm going to miss the people, but quite honestly, they decided to find everybody local. There were only four people, I think, that were still going to be going back and forth, and two people that actually moved there for four months from L.A. So uh, they were really concerned about everybody's travel and whether travel was safe or not, and those were the reasons that really, you know, guided them into making that decision. I'll miss the show. I mean, the only reason I would get it back is if it moved back to uh, Los Angeles, but they like the, they like the audiences they're getting. Uh, in Atlanta better, which brings me to my next topic. How do you get audience reactions in a courtroom show? I should say gallery reactions in a courtroom show um, without a live audience, because there's no way you can test a live audience and keep them all isolated and everything on a show with that budget. They put, I don't know, 20 or 25 monitors out on stands so that the faces would be about where the faces would have been if they were sitting there. It was never a large gallery anyway. I think maybe we had 30 or 35 people, and they zoomed them in. And so they sh when they would shoot the cross shots of the litigants and everything, there would be monitors behind them of actual people that are watching the show live at their computers at home, zoomed in for a courtroom show so that the judge could get reaction. So, and you know, and I helped them, you know, talk through all that, how that was going to work, and with, you know, shots and things like that. So that show too. Show three. Wow. Another, show three now was another game show that pushed and is actually loading in this Saturday for Fox. Uh, 25 words or less with Meredith Vieira. And this is a show that we used to require two celebrities sitting on a couch with a contestant between them. And if you've never seen the show, it's a, sort of like a password where they're not allowed to say. They're, they're allowed to, they've got to get you to guess the right word. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of interaction. People are sitting there and hugging and high-fiving and all that. And Mary is within six or eight feet on our, the way our old setup was. And everybody would come up and stand literally right next to her so you could get a good three shot uh, and, and, and play parts of the game as well. So socially isolating the way we used to stage it wasn't going to be possible. What the producers came up with is they rented a studio in LA and they're going to have pods that are basically like our bedrooms that you, you're sitting in a room right now, I'm sitting at home in my office. They're basically creating mini sets that are about 10 by 10 cubicles with sound proofing and everything around with a webcam. I'm going to go in and light them on Saturday, you know, this Saturday. And it's going to be, they don't want anybody on stage though because of testing and proximity. Everybody that's on the show is going to be socially isolated, physically isolated. They don't even walk in the same pathway. Um, all the engineers are going to be in another studio next door. Everybody is tested. Um, right now, I think they're using the rapid 15-minute test. You get tested as you go in and, they don't, and you check your temperature. While you're in the building, you've got to wear a mask the whole time while you're working. Uh, gloves are really superfluous. I mean, unless you're serving food to other people and things like that, you just have to wash your hands a lot. Right. Uh, and so this is their first. They're just going into production now. Uh, our host, Meredith Vieira, is actually going to be shooting from her home in New York. Uh, and I have another crew, which I just got a text for, confirming that they're actually sending the gear to the right place. Uh, so I have a, a friend that lives in New York that I can trust going into Talent's home. And uh, he's going to go and set it all up. And then the, uh, you know, we found somebody also who I can trust. I have a lot of friends back east uh, who just happened to be available and is perfect for the job. And he's going to be the production assistant um, that is going to basically do everything so Meredith is not exposed to a horde of people in her home. And she has a nice uh, basement that was, I think, converted into a screening room. So uh, it, it, it's not like, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous kind of place. It's, 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 oh, it's, man. It's, you know what I mean. It's nice. Trust me. But it's not, you know, it, it's not like we're lighting a huge cavern. And it's the same kind of thing where it has to be, she's going to be on the same webcam with the same kind of audio and everything uh, as, the, as the six cubicles. And then they're going to do a Brady Bunch kind of look on it. Final show, which we finished uh, shooting four episodes of last weekend, uh, was America's Funniest Home Videos. And my company's been doing that show now for about 20 years. The show's been on the air for about, uh, I think we're going to season 31. Of, wow. And it would be for not knowing that number exactly. It was season 31, I swear. That's um, amazing. Alfonso uh, Rivera is our host, and he's wonderful to work with, one of the nicest people I've ever worked with. He's also, you know, he's been a director and he understands production. Uh, he's, he's just, and he's a golfer. I said, how can you not love him? So, uh, what else? Uh, God, America's yeah. Funniest Home Videos must have seen so many changes in 31 years, in 31 seasons. Oh, my God. Well, He's actually, if I understand it correctly, he got the video recorder, the, the, you know, the home video recorder, into the Smithsonian, along with a little thing uh, going years ago. Because that really, when you think about what we can do with our phones, started there. Um, yeah. And it hasn't put me out of business. Uh, as much as we were all afraid it was going to. They're never going to yeah. need lighting. They're never going to need lighting. I'm, granted, I'm lighting webcams now. But uh, for funny videos, 
they decided they needed a live studio audience to do the game. They needed someone to vote for the $10,000 winner. How are they going to do that? We can't get a live audience. So they zoomed in, I think, over 100 people. Uh, they uh, we have these set pieces that we move around that are really big. They're probably, I don't know, 8 feet by 12 feet high that are monitors. And then we zoom 100 people into, uh, into these monitors. And they're actually live while we're filming all of Alfonso's intros and outs of the funny videos and everything. And then the people that are the three finalists, we have sent uh, web kits to their homes, checked their internet connections ahead of time, told them what to wear, snooped around their house with the camera to figure out the best place to put them. And we actually interviewed them live on the show. Now the show is all put together in post, but they're actually live Zoom interviews with the three families. And then once again with the winning family. Wow. Vin has always felt, and the thing that's kept me employed, is that the live segment of the show and doing it with a live audience and showing them the clips is what makes the show work. And so he wanted to keep as much of that as he could. Um, all three of my tests were for that. Uh, we had to go in and re-rig. We removed all the audience lighting. I had to put in other special lighting. Um, it's a huge stage. Uh, and then we had to put in additional scenery where there was audience that we, so we could still shoot 360 in the studio or, or 270. So all of these precautions that you're talking about for the COVID era are, these are modern marvels. These are things that are just amazing. I, I think, I hope we're all appreciative and very thankful that we have these technological advances available to us so that we can still do shows. Yeah, That's wonderful. They were, sorry to interrupt, they were really, the whole crew was so happy to be back to work, because this is a group of people that works together all the time. I, I, I mean, they're, they're friends as well as colleagues. So uh, everybody wore masks. There were no issues. Everybody got their temperature taken. Everybody washed their hair. Everybody stayed as far away from people where, wherever it was possible. Obviously, when he got a steady cam and he's walking backwards, his, his utility guy's got to be right behind him so he doesn't kill himself. Um, there was only one person allowed in the lift at a time, so, you know, work took a little longer to do all that rigging and things like that. Uh, but everything was done following all the guidelines. Nobody got sick. Everybody would stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And we, we got four shows shot. And they looked really good, I think. It's, now with no audience to shoot, it's really all about the lighting. And, and one other thing to be aware of lighting designers out there is until there's a cure or a vaccine for COVID, you can't use smoke or put any particulate into the air from sawdust to a hazer to nitrogen because that could conceivably carry the virus farther than that six feet. If you have anybody that's unmasked, you see what I'm Interesting. saying? I that makes that. so much sense. My show would have been so much prettier, my four shows, if I could have used just a little bit of haze, you know? And so we are... It's not against the law. There's no law. Congress didn't pass the bill, but it's against CDC and the white paper recommendations. So obviously there are probably going to be producers out there that do what they do uh, or are unaware. And, and that's fine too. You know, everybody's learning. I mean, there is no national response to this or one set of rules. And that's one of the problems our industry is having. What do you do in Atlanta? Is that different than what you do in LA? Now, I do know that Divorce Court followed all the LA rules because they're an LA production company. 
even though hardly anybody can uh, right. run out. So um, I think our, our rules and regulations are stricter. And so basically, I saw all this work lined up in the busiest fall turn into me working on my golf. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Because uh, I didn't really start back until a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And I don't, after this weekend, I don't have anything booked until the middle of September again. So, because it's only the one show. I mean, it wasn't doing all four shows and juggling schedules and finding crew and people to cover each other and all that crazy, like it was for years. And, you know, pretty much from June through October was our busy season. Um, so, it, it's been very different. Uh, my wife has not kicked me out. Congratulations. at home. So, uh, so that's great. But, um, you know, actually, you know, things are really good. I, uh, you know, we're just in a very fortunate place right now. It was good timing. It must be my such husband. a roller coaster for you to go from four shows booked simultaneously to four shows spread out over six months and with nothing on the books until September. Yeah, it's, it's what do you do? You, you, you know, you keep busy. You do podcasts. <laughs> we do. I do podcasts. I uh, I cleaned out the uh, the cupboards once, and then twice, and then I organized the garage, and then and then even after a month, I was like, I don't, man, I maybe I need to start a garden or something. You know? I did all of that, and, and about six weeks in, I was done, and my daughter came up and thought we were going to sell the house because <laughs> it was fixed up. I mean, everything I said I was going to do over the years that I never got around to was done in like the course of a month and a half. I had all this free time. I we really thought this was only going to be a couple of months. We really thought that they would get it under control, and um, nobody's expected it to go. It's been five months now. Uh, you know, at, at when we're recording, it's not when this is going to air, but it's it's there's no vaccine in sight. Still, if we're lucky for the masses, the beginning of this coming year, and and let's just hope it's safe and they don't do something like what the Russians did and just said, oh, we'll skip phase three trials and just give it to my daughter. She lives with just the whole population. Uh, sorry, don't put that in. That's political. We don't want to get political. <laughs> it's hard not to these days, but uh, you know what I mean. It's tough not to. There's uh, there's lots to be talked about there for sure. The, the other thing that's really going to hurt my industry now uh, is we started back in production on AFD literally the day after that $600 went away. If that $600 doesn't come back, so many of my colleagues and friends do live shows, live audience shows, not just television shows, uh, the Greek theater, everything that's done at Staples Center, um, you know, all the big arena shows, the tours. I mean, I saw Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium last year. It was phenomenal. You can't even get a baseball ticket now. Everything, you've got to, you know, like, all those people are out of work. All the concessionaires, yeah, all, all of the, everybody. Uh, it, it's not just you know the lighting crew and the sound crew and the road crew. It's and I don't think our gov, you know, our, our federal government really gives a shit about it. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, doesn't seem like they do. It seems like they care about uh, a few select people, and then the rest of us are just kind of left to fend for ourselves. Yeah. So um, I mean I know I I've, I've done some I've been in a position where I can donate a little so I, the Actors Fund has been something that I've donated to help industry people you know the ACLU that kind of thing the Legal Defense Fund um, you just you, when you're stuck home like this it makes you it makes you think I couldn't protest 
I, I mean, I, when I was 12, my mom brought me to uh, Washington, D.C. We were in New Jersey on a bus to protest the Vietnam War uh, at the time. Uh, wow. I'm not saying protests are right now. And in hindsight, uh, you know, we never should have taken it out on the men that went. Uh, I think that was wrong. Uh, yeah. The war itself is not a good idea. Uh, and so I've always been very politically active and to sit home day after day and, and watch the protests and the civil unrest and not be able to be out there with them uh, was really hard for me. Because um, of the pandemic, I did not want to get sick. Yeah. Man, uh, it's, uh, it's a constant flow of uh, conflicting emotions these days. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. I think I may have gotten a little off track here. Why don't you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it sounds like when it comes time to retirement, you are going to become more philanthropic. Is that something that you're kind of testing the waters with right now? It sounds like you're kind of in a, a mid-level retirement. Is that the way it feels? Well, certainly the past five months does. Um, one of the things I started about five, six years ago is I got active with the Television Academy, uh, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. They're the people that created the Emmy. Uh -huh. uh, but they, they also have a foundation that has an incredible internship program. Some of their interns have actually won Emmys after they've become professionals. And it brings in people of color and women, uh, people who would normally be exposed because their father's not in the business or their uh -huh. uncle's not in the business kind of thing. Because there's, there's, because of the nature of entertainment, you want to work with people that you know and trust and like. Yeah. And so you hire who you know and trust and like. How do you become diverse if you only hire who you already know? Right. So one of the things that I've been working on with, with the TV Academy lately, uh, I'm on the membership committee, uh, is how do we, first of all, how diversified are we? We don't even know what we are because we don't even ask. So uh, I'm... But let, let me start sort of at the beginning. Three years ago, I was elected uh, governor of my peer group, uh, which was Lighting, Camera, and Technical Arts. Uh, and that was a big honor for me and everything. And uh, for the past three years, I've been on the Board of Governors, which is basically the Board of Directors of a large nonprofit corporation that happens to produce the Emmys, but also does a lot of other, other things, like the foundation, which is a separate financial part of the Television Academy, a separate corporation for tax reasons and everything else. But um, the TV Academy itself is, it's a really great place. And it, we, we're looking for, we're always looking for membership for qualified members that are making product. I don't even want to call it television anymore. We're, we're mm -hmm. doing, you know, we're in the process of studying the future of television. Is it even going to be called television? Is it going to be called streaming? Is it going to be something else? Is everything going to be holographic? We never could have imagined uh, when they shot Back to the Future that we would all have iPhones. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, so when you think about it, man, they never did get the hoverboard right. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the communications and video and everything else, uh, we just we just don't know what the future is going to be, and the, but the biggest thing is is that we're, TV is is about content and storytelling, 
Right. And so the, the biggest thing that was pushed for the TV Academy, uh, which is not to be confused with the Oscars, they're the Film Academy, uh-huh. um, is how do we say, how do we remain diverse? How do we re- reflect our industry? How do we make our industry more diverse? I'd imagine the part of the the major part of that is actually going out and reaching out and letting people know that this is even an option and and uh, convincing younger the younger generation that this is a viable industry that you can make a living in. Uh, and, right and now, it's, it's a tough okay tough sell, but you, if it's okay with you now that I think about it, in addition to my website, could we go ahead and put a link to the Television Academy as well as the Foundation on there, and I will email you those uh, later. Absolutely. Those are things while a lot of lighting designers listening to this don't necessarily do television. Uh, And I'm not suggesting that you switch careers or get out of, you know, lighting concerts. I think the concert world is probably one of the most creative outlets for lighting designers that is out there. Mm -hmm. And they must all be devastated. Um, Just creatively, forget financially. I mean, this is... A lot of what I do sort of defines me as a person, as a lighting designer. I love what I do. Even if I retire, I don't. if somebody called and asked me to do a show, if I could get there and they wanted me, I would love to like their show. I don't care if I'm 85. You know, it's, as long as I'm, I feel relevant and I feel I can contribute something, I mean, and I'm only as good as my crew. My crew doesn't have to be 85. Mm-hmm. They can be young and healthy. Uh, yeah. So... I don't know if there is any retiring from our industry because this isn't just a job for us. This is our passion. This is our art. This is, there, there is no retirement per se. That's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, I would, if I did something very cliche and retired in Palm Springs or Palm Beach, I'd probably be doing my community theater with them because I'd have to do something, you know, because I started in theater. I would, I would go right back to it. Uh, I mean, I even taught theater for a while. If there was a community college that would have me, I'd probably teach a course. You know, um, it's it's just I want to give back. Uh, I've had a very lucky, lucky life and career as far as that goes. Um, I went to uh, Brandeis uh, in the uh, late '70s, and two of the people I went to college with, uh, Marta Kaufman, who's two years older than me, and David Crane, who was a year older than me, wrote original musicals. And we're looking for a lighting designer, and I ended up lighting two original musicals of theirs that went on to the Kennedy Center and won the American College Theater Festival. Uh, those two people ended up creating a TV show called Friends. Uh, That's so how it happens. I was with some very creative people growing up, and while I don't do sitcoms, and we've all drifted apart, um, and you know, Marta is now doing. Um, of Grace and Frankie, and she, they've all done lots of other things since Friends, but, but we all grew up in that this sort of creative culture where it was all about the story and the words and the feeling, and um, and then I lit that, and you know, you just augment what's there. I mean, I was taught if all the show needs for a set is a chair, design a really nice chair. Don't design Windsor Castle around it, it'll get distracting. Yeah. Um, you know, and a, a lot of lighting we see these days seems a little bit overdone until you get into the concert world and you can just never do enough. <laughs> That's if true. If you've seen it, then you got to do something new. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's that's the part of us that we we will never be able to turn out turn off. 
uh, even at 85, 90, if somebody calls me to say, Hey, do you want to go design a chair? I'm going to say yes. And I, because that's what I would be doing. Even if nobody was paying me, I would still be doing some sort of art or or lighting something or telling some sort of story. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, some of the, the greatest people that I've toured with or worked with, they're like, yeah, so I'm, technically retired but somebody gave me a call to come do this so i'm here because this is what i want to do that's probably the toughest part about this is that that, that this the covid19 hasn't just taken away our job and our profession it's taken away who we are as a person and you said that you identify as a lighting designer if there's no and if there's nothing to like you, you, you go a little stir crazy so i mean yeah i, I mean I, I love to play golf I love to be outside. You know, I've been walking a lot, things like that. Uh, you can't really go to the beach in California. There's too many people, unless you live there. Um, but it's, you know, we're, we're, I'm spoiled. I really am. I'm really lucky. There are so many people in our industry right now that are worried about making rent, especially since that $600 a week went away. Yeah. And don't have anything lined up because... They were the spotlight operator at the Greek, and that entire season was canceled. And that yeah. was 60% of their annual income. And they were counting on that starting last month. So how does, or, or the concession girl, you know, whoever. It's not, it's not, I don't want to just say lighting crew. It's, mm-hmm. it's all those people. And how many hundreds of venues around the country have, has the same thing happened to? I mean, the Starlight Bowl in Burbank canceled this season. Not a huge employer. I mean, it's only concerts on the weekend, but still, that's all income that's gone. Yeah. And creativity that's gone. And people getting together and having a good time that's gone. It's like we didn't have a summer. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard. It really is. It's, I, I feel for, for all those people hurting. I wish there was I, I wish there was more that could be done for them. There is more that could be done for them. I hope we get the right people to get it done for them. Yeah. Uh, if, if one thing has come to light, it's the, any sort of myth about uh, work ethic being worse now than it ever was before that. I think we've completely blown that out of the water because I've seen no lack of people uh, getting very creative and coming up with different ways to stay working. Uh, I've seen some, some brilliant pivots from our people to stay in the industry and find new ways to create emotion and storytelling. Have you seen more innovation or just different innovation in the, in the 20, 30 years that you've been in the industry? Oh my God. Yes. And I don't just, I, I also dabble in like studio lighting studios and nightclubs and things like that too when offered because there's something that's going to last a little longer than a 30 minute TV show. Or, or a two-hour concert or program or something. I mean, the way I look at it is if you don't light it, then you don't see it. And Brilliant. Uh, so, I mean, I do a little bit. I did a, some consulting in the Philippines years ago, uh, helping them build a couple of studios. I've done stuff in Malaysia and Hong Kong as well. It's, um, I love to travel. And with COVID, all those jobs are... You know, even the local ones where I would go to, you know, fix a news station in Toledo, Ohio, or Cleveland, or Miami, or wherever I happened to be going when I wasn't doing TV shows to kind of fill in my time and go and try and make the news a little bit better over the 30 years and stuff. And now we can't travel either. 
really are doing any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, getting back to your question over the last 30 years, yes, the advent of parkans, I would say, using them in television and rock and roll lighting uh, started in the late 70s, early 80s. And I joined the Academy in 1985, started doing Soul Train in uh, 1989. Originally, we started with 12 canopies. You can remember those. Wow, yeah. Um, and eventually moved up to quite a sophisticated system. Uh, I believe it was very early at the time. Yep. Uh, and it was such a show that was, it was like a, a Saturday afternoon show. But we kind of gave, but it had a dance vibe. And it was sort of, uh, you know, like the opposite of Dick Clark. Uh, in terms of maybe culture and music, but exactly the same kind of uh, thing. It's just a bunch of people getting together, having a good time, listening to good music. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I did that show for uh, 10 or 11 years. My partners, Jeff Engel and Carl Gibson, did it before me. And another partner, Jeff Barr, did it after me for a while. And eventually it went off the air. Uh, but it, it was, I wish we did more shows like that because they were quick, you know, we shot three or four shows a weekend, and we brought in live talent, it was all lip sync, so audio was not a big deal, it was all fake, uh, the only time it wasn't lip sync, it was if we got Stevie Wonder, or Aretha Franklin, or Michael Jackson, or somebody like that in, and then, they're going to do what they're going to do, uh-huh. Snoop Dogg was fine as long as we let him say hi. <laughs> and, and, and his entourage, and we just saw, we didn't need to put extra smoke on, on set when he was there because his crew just kept it lit up. Uh, but uh, and that was before it was legal. But uh, I'm sure they're not going to come back and arrest him for me saying that now. No, I but, think you're safe. <laughs> you know, it, you know, and it was fun, and it was a different time too. Uh, you know, th- things were more. They weren't as corporate. When I started, the business was run mostly by MFAs, people with masters in fine arts degrees. Right. They were writers. They were creative people. They were designers. You know, they were editors that were visual, or or they or they were audio engineers that were musical. In that situation, so, it sounds like you guys were actually creating parties and then just filming them. It's pretty much what we did. It, it, it is. And it was and it was fun and it was structured and that was what it was meant to look like and th- the kids just wanted to be on TV none of them were paid. Oh uh, man, I mean, that's a different world. Time. Yeah, I mean it was a totally different world, and uh, one of the you know the audience producers co- coordinators actually would go to the clubs and they just find people. Yeah, you can dance and you can dance how you want to be on TV. And the show got a following, and it went on for years and years and years. I think it was on for 35 years. Yeah. Um, those kinds of shows, I saw all of that kind of stuff. I mean, Arsenio Hall was next door back in uh-huh. the day. Um, and, and Kieran uh, Healy was the lighting designer on that. And he was actually the governor who didn't want to do it anymore. So I went and actually you know, took his spot, so to speak. So we have, you know, lighting representation at the in the governor's room. You had some good shoes, uh, good shoes to fill there. I excellent shoes to follow. He's one of the nicest people I've ever known, and one of the most talented lighting designers as well, both in the concert world and TV. I I couldn't say enough nice things about him. Um, Um, 
Hearing you right. talk about it, it sounds like that was more reality television show than reality television show is now. Uh, reality oh. TV is so manufactured. Oh, you see? There, I mean, the news, I, there's, everything is slanted. Everything is produced. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so hard to get at what's real. The, and, and, and I mean, I also, I did the original People's Court, okay, back in the late 80s. That was the original courtroom show with Judge Walker. Uh -huh. uh, and, I mean, there had been other courtroom shows, but what, what Stu Billet uh, had done when they produced that show is they brought in real people. They didn't have to pay them. It's brilliant. All they had to do was pay up to a maximum at the time. I think it was $3,000. Now it's five or $10,000. You know what talent fees are right now, on-camera talent fees? So think about it. It was all they had to do was pay the judge and the bailiff. Uh, and and he, he paid, you know, Judge Wapner, yeah, he didn't make what Judge Judy makes now, but still, he, that whole genre turned into a cash cow, and so many courtroom shows came out of that, uh, you, when you think about it. Um, that was the original reality TV, and then they just took it to the next level. It's just such a familiar story where it, it starts off real and genuine and then it just gets overproduced and it just gets destroyed when you, you're like, well, we like these things that Wapner did. Get more of that. Get another person to do more of that part that we liked and, and had ratings and just keep doing that more and more. And then it, it yeah. just be, you lose it. Yeah, I mean, the show's still on the air and they shoot it in New York now. And, and, it's, and it's still doing well, as far as I know. It's, it's just amazing, though. What, but getting back to the MFAs, during the late mm -hmm. 80s and early 90s, um, Cap City spot ABC, GE and NBC, and that whole saga, Viacom and MTV. The whole advent of MTV and cable television revolutionized television as well. Yeah. Okay? So, so you've got all that happening at the same time, and all of a sudden, this is big business. This is not, you're not just making entertainment for three or four networks. And the NBA started taking over. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they started line item cutting everything. And um, unions got a really bad rap there for a while. And it was never really the unions that were causing all that cost. If you look at the total budget and what the production companies were taking to pay the producers and their staffs and what the actors and on-camera talent were getting paid, the portion that was actually the people doing the filming, lighting, editing, sweeping the floors, craft service, and all of that, none of them were getting rich. You know, yeah, they had we got health benefits if we if we were in the union and stuff, but we were all making a fair wage. But I mean, uh -huh. but it was more of a minimum wage. And you know, so this was always uh, I mean, I was in the late '90s. I think Bruce Willis came out with that content. The reason movies cost so much is because of the unions. Um, you know, it, it, there was a lot of that going on. Uh, trust me, nobody would work on his films. He had they had trouble finding crews for a couple of his films after his death. Like that. Man, that's uh, uh, that's attacking the people that help you, man. That is. I, that's I, I, I the first thing I tell producers when they thank me and say they did a great job is I say thank you, but I'm only as good as my crew, and I could have done it without it. And it's really true. Lighting is such a collaboration now. Yeah. So much more so, so back to your question than it was even 30 years ago. Because now I've got somebody that's doing a media server. I've got somebody else that's running moving lights. If it's a lot of lights in a big show, I may have two people doing moving lights. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got somebody else just do, dealing with the audience lights. 
and I'm I'm feeling follow spots all over the place too. So it's 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 much busier and bigger than it used to be, and it's so much more light independent. Uh, when you look at shows like Laughing in the fifties, seventies uh, uh, rather, um, you know it was all white light, making enough light for the camera. Uh, doing big musical numbers, you know, uh, oh God, what were some of those those old 60s shows? Where, you know, it was banks of, of scoops with uh, and uh, sky pans and stuff with gel in front of them because you yeah. needed to hook your foot handles for the cameras, for those colored cameras to get a picture. Um, now look what we can do on our phones. And mm -hmm. what, we, you actually look pretty good on your webcam right now. <laughs> so, um, I've, I've got a $19 webcam. I think your camera's a lot nicer. Than <laughs> I thank you, thank you. Uh, but but we, we, so so our industry has, as well as being, I haven't really had a rate increase or a raise in my what I charge per day for probably 10 years. Okay. So the industry, I'm not complaining that I'm not paid well, but. Getting raises or anything like that, um, unless you're union, and even then, it's you know three percent, two percent, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, is, and if you're working for scale, that's really hard because that's sort of the, the low end of wages in LA. It's so expensive to live here. Uh huh. Um, you just, uh, I got off track again. I'm sorry. Uh, no, actually, you you led perfectly into my next question. Is uh, in the modern era. Is it more important to be a part of the union in LA than it ever was before? I, I would say my answers changed over the past year with George Floyd. And, Interesting. And, and here's why. The unions, we need more people in the union. We need more people of color. We need more women. Yes. We need more diversity in the union. We need to be bigger, to be stronger, so that we can help protect those people. Because right now, a lot of the people in our industry and other industries that don't have the advantage of union membership like I do, and a union to go to to protect them if there's an unsafe working condition, I have a hotline I can call, are the ones that are working in unsafe studio conditions. And not necessarily, I'm not saying they are, but I'm just saying they, they can be taken advantage of. Uh, yeah. Several years ago, uh, there was the Sarah Jones incident where she was killed by a train. They never should have been on those tracks. They never pulled the right permits. The producers went to jail. I don't think it was enough time, but they did go to jail. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was killed. And, and that was, uh, and I believe that might have even been a DGA show. I don't know. Uh, but there were some unions involved, but those kind of safety things happen. It should never happen, but they do still happen. Yeah, that sounds wholly uh, avoidable. It was totally avoidable. It's it's different than a guy getting caught up in a rig during a windstorm and the rig comes down. Right. And he should have been there in the first place. But, you know, it's it's different than, you know, not getting off the tracks or not. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go, I'll go out one step too far. I'm probably overstepping my bounds here, but, uh, you know, what uh, what the hell. I've never understood why unions don't reach out to the underrepresented more like the, the, the immigrants and the, uh, the, the people of color and the women I feel like those are the people that need solidarity the most. I could not agree with you more. It's one of the things that the unions have to change from within, just like the TV academies. I'm not saying that we're, we're not diverse because we don't know. It's something that we all need to change within. 
Because right now, what we do is, oh, my nephew needs a job. I'll get him in the union. My daughter needs a job. Oh, my cousin's looking for work. Yeah, I can, I can teach him to be a carpenter, or I can teach him to do craft service and sweep up after, after a set crew, uh, you know, builds a bunch of scenery, and he can, you know, keep the place clean, and he can learn a craft, and he can learn a trade, and that's great. We have to make a conscious effort as unions to go out and recruit and look for talent that we're not blood relatives of. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is, this goes from, and I, please don't lynch me local one, all the way up to my local 600. We all want to work with who we know and feel comfortable with. Yeah. And we have to change as a society and we have to change as unions so that we're, we want, but we would never deny membership to anyone because don't get me wrong. There is mm -hmm. none of that going on, in, in, in my knowledge, in the unions. Uh, if, any, if somebody's qualified, but getting into the union because it does guarantee you certain, uh, if you work regularly, it guarantees you health and medical insurance and eventually a pension if you put enough years and time in. Right. Which is something that very few, even private companies, offer pensions anymore. Maybe they'll give you a 401k. Uh, so it's 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 a very coveted thing uh, to get that. And because of that, you can't, it's a catch-22 situation. You can't do a union show unless you're in the union. However, you can't join the union unless you've done union work. <laughs> it's a tough one. Okay, for most of the crafts. Now, for if you want to become a cameraman or in local 600, it's a little different. It's a lot harder to join. But if you, if you, you need 30 days of union work for local 600 to join. Okay, and it's expensive, and I'm not going to go into any of that now, uh, depending what classification you join, whether you're going to join camera or you want to be a director of photography and a lighting designer for, you know, IAP TV shows, which is, which is what I am and what I do. Uh -huh. uh, okay, or you can do 100 non-union days of the same classification over two years. Uh-huh. Both of these for 30 days, and the other have to be over, I think, I think it's two years, not one year. Uh, and then, then you can join. Right. Okay. They have payment plans and everything, but to my knowledge, you, as a lighting designer, you join as a director of photography. Um, all of your work is seen through the camera, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I believe the initiation fee is about $16,000. Ooh! Okay. Okay. One, and then you, they get one percent of your uh, wages as dues, and it's uh, about I think it's four hundred and fifty dollars a quarter in dues as well. Okay. It's very very expensive. The people that we need to get in the union can't afford it a lot of times, so they do have payment plans. They'll spread it out over years, things like that. They don't, but that's a real turnoff to people. When you, when you go and say, hey, you know, you are a great cinematographer. We want you to join our union. They'll go, I'm not going to spend that kind of money. I'm working fine now. And that may be true for them as an individual, but collectively, the more of us get together, uh, especially in, in, in our own political climate right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how to put that any more delicately without going on a rant. 
it's uh, uh, it, it happens incrementally and gradually. When we keep hiring our friends, we end up in a in a creative bubble, and we're not bringing new insights and new vision into our design process. It's not until we go completely outside of our bubble and bring new people in, and we actually have to like put our egos aside and go outside and find people that we're uncomfortable with that we can finally get new innovations. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's what the, the foundation, the Television Academy Foundation has an internship program. And they seek interns, college interns from all around the country. And I actually, it, it's a big responsibility. I actually judge a lot of those applicants. Uh, anybody listening to this podcast that applied and didn't get in, I swear it wasn't me. I didn't see your particular application. <laughs> That's my disclaimer. However, the people, if you look, if you go on to the Television Academy page, you can see all the interns. And it's a reflection of our country. It's beautiful. It's men, women, uh, every race, nationality that you can imagine that want to be writers and producers. And so production companies here in LA have even done some virtual and, and remote uh, internships. It's been really hard this year. Before, they used to come, in, come out on set. Um, if we could get lighting companies, like your company, for example, that was interested in somebody that had, if you had like a concert division, I don't know if you guys do or not, uh, where you could take on an intern. It's a paid position. It would cost your money. I believe it's all tax deductible. I'm not doing a sales pitch or anything, but we're always looking for new, new ways. That would help get lighting designers out there. And, mm -hmm. and you could get... You know, you could get a Cuban immigrant that's going to, you know, Ole Miss, you know, come in to work for you with a completely different perspective on life. Mm -hmm. And that, those are the kinds of people, that, I'm, I'm not trying to sound, I'm not picking on Cuban or any one particular race, but just something completely outside our, our realm. Game changers, uh, that's where yeah. they come from. And I think that that is, you know, hopefully our... Our industry, which has been rather that creative bubble, as you say, you know, hopefully we're going to we're going to we're going to expand that bubble. I don't know that we'll ever break it, but hopefully we can expand it to be more inclusive. Because you're still going to want these people to want to love what they do, like we do, and you're going to want them to be passionate about storytelling, whether they're telling it with lights, scenery, sound recording or their performers or writers or producers or whatever. They're still mm -hmm. telling a story. They're all part of a collaborative effort. And and it's very and usually it's very visual. Hopefully it's very visual if I'm in one. I mean, you don't want it, I don't want it to look boring. As uh, as an entertainment industry, I, I like to think that we're a little bit more progressive and inclusive than most other industries. But I the more I talk to people I, I realize that we still have a long way to go. Exactly. And I'm the enemy. I'm, I'm the, you know, the white middle-aged Jewish guy. <laughs> okay. And but I'm, I'm trying to do something about that. And yeah. It's not, it's not necessarily out of Jewish guilt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's more because it's the right thing to do for, for our country and for society as a whole. Uh, I agree. I agree. I, know that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm very passionate about being on the membership committee for the TV Academy is that, that, that we don't want to necessarily just reflect our industry, but we want to be, reflect all aspects of our industry. 
Well, I am um, so glad that you were in that position and you are, uh, you're seeking inclusivity and, uh, and striving towards a, a more eclectic bunch of people. It's not hard. You just have to have an open mind. Absolutely. And wear a damn mask. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much. This has been absolutely enlightening. I am so glad to know that you are there doing fighting the good fight and doing all the things with the with that mindset that makes me so optimistic that uh, we are moving in the right direction and even though we're in the middle of the the worst times our industry has seen it, it makes me really happy to know that there are still people fighting the good fight over there well let's put it this way we're, we're starting and we've got a long way to go and you know I think what's happened over the last five months uh, has been a real eye-opener to everybody. Yes. And we're either going to be a class society of the very rich minority and everybody else, not so, or we're going we're gonna to maintain a middle class and a decent lifestyle and the quote-unquote American dream. Granted, single-family housing in some areas may not be practical anymore, but, uh, you know, they may have to go to more urban-dense housing, but you're still owning your own home. You know, yeah. that dream of home ownership and everything is slowly being taken away from all of us, from the whole country. And, and I think that we've got, to, we've got to reverse that. I agree. Uh, people, people when you, it's funny, when you own something, whether it's, I mean, when you're a kid and you get your first bicycle, you keep it clean. Yeah. You're proud of it, okay? Yep. When you're renting somebody else's place, it's very different. Yes, it's your home, but once you own it, there's something about when they say you're taking ownership of a project. This is your home, too. Just like I take, whenever I take a job, it's mine. I mean, you know, I take ownership of it, and I'll, I'll do that to the best of my ability. And, and that's kind of what, you know, we've got to get going again. Ah, it's it's that mindset that must have made that Atlanta gig so trying for you to just like this is my project and I'm I'm gonna give it over willingly because I know that I need to sacrifice. It's the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. That must have been really tough for you, knowing if, that. If I came, I came back here, and then I exposed my wife, and then she went to work, and she exposed her coworkers. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's more than, it's not just me. And that's what everybody has to realize. It's not just about you. It's about everybody else. That is ultimate ownership, isn't it? Yeah. Well, wow. I guess, yeah. And, and I guess I own it. You, you know, you did. You, uh, you did exactly what a responsible owner would have to do. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I, uh, this has been uh, a real ray of sunshine for me today. Well, good, good. Um, it, it's not all gloom and doom out there. No. Everybody's got to be patient and hang tight. It's going to come back. Uh, it just could be another year, I hate to say it. So it's back full swing. Yeah. So, you know, everybody just hang on as best you can. If you got to go do something else and come back to it, you know, everybody's got to survive. Nobody's going to not hire you back. If you were good at what you did before, you're not going to get ungood all of a sudden. That's not English, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. All right. You take care. Talk to you soon.